0: today's show, we're going to be talking about how to manage interview fatigue. So, Jeb, I'm just going to start right off and ask you, are you a morning person or a night owl? So, which is the most optimal time for you to actually, like, be most engaged, do your work? I am
1: most productive in the morning. But... How often? (laughs) Let me say this. (laughs) I don't wake up often in the morning. So if i if i did i would be much more engaged in uh probably be just you know just sitting on a pile of money because i'd be so productive and such a good business person
0: so do you um believe in like you know all the hype when there's like the super productive people the super entrepreneurs are like oh you got to get up at 4 a.m every morning and they've got this really strict schedule and all that kind of stuff. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Is there a dump truck backing up outside your window? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the challenges. That's no, awesome.
1: Um, so my thoughts on um, the entrepreneurial, you got to get up at 4 a.m., you got to crush your Mondays, all that stuff is um, – if it works for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, don't listen to the hype. Like, you know, operate, operate when you work best.
0: Yeah. I think it's a bunch of BS.
1: (laughs) Well, I think we've talked about this before. My ideal work day would probably be from like 9am to noon. And then like, I wouldn't get back to work until maybe 6pm. Cause I get, I also get really productive in the evenings, but that the whole midday thing is just garbage for me. That's when I should be out running errands or mowing the grass or, you know, doing chores or something. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, garbage. Sure. I I think anybody telling you, you have to do that to be, you know, good at something. I think that is garbage. I think people have proved time and time again that, that you don't have to follow these, uh, ways of doing things in order to be successful or productive.
0: Yeah, I think it just gets the most noise, right? But I mean, I think you got to figure out what works for you um and and do you. So, um I think I'm probably more productive in the morning if I'm if same as you, if I actually like get up and, you know, you know, have good night's sleep and and I do think that that's probably more important that's not talked about is actually Mm. getting enough sleep, you know, so that the next day that you actually feel productive at whatever time that is, I think that that's the challenge. And I think that even like, uh, in our very hype up technology world, um, you know, I've read lots of things. Like if you go camping for like five days straight, like your whole internal clock will reset. And so, you know, I don't know that any of us probably really do well on like what our natural like body clock really is, because we get caught up with, uh, you know, even just looking at your phone late at night. Uh, You know, I've done that for the past several nights, so I don't actually feel uh, 100%. I feel a little fatigue as we're talking about interview fatigue today, because I've watched a little too much TikTok, and uh, my wife, Christy, comes in. She's like, what, you're not in bed yet? (laughs) So you're not asleep yet? I'm like, I'm going to sleep now. Yeah, that's me.
1: I, I get in bed. But then I play um, Zynga Texas Hold'em for like a good couple of hours, and uh, before I fall asleep. In fact, you talked about having fatigue today, and I just remembered to turn on the light that's below my monitor because my bags are looking super heavy today. So, uh, for anybody who's watching, you can see the fatigue. Wow!
0: Look at that! Look at that fatigue. You should try. You should try some of that eye cream. I got some not like embarrassed to say that no it's just i don't know it's eye cream you put under your eyes it's supposed to help just rejuvenate your eyes hmm i Checked thought you out. said
1: ice cream at first so oh I thought, well you know
0: <laughs> yeah you could do put that it in my too. mouth might as well put it it's, in my eyes it's very cold it's very very cold indeed <laughs> so rejuvenating yeah Well, so actually, um, I actually have experience with interviewed fatigue on two different occasions. Um, One time I was interviewing with a major uh, banking institute, and another time I interviewed with a major technology insurance company. And in both situations, I was rethinking this back on both situations, I had a total of eight plus interviews. And by the sixth interview on both occasions, around the sixth... Five or six or seventh interview, I knew that I didn't want the job. And so, interview fatigue, it's not a concept. It's a real phenomenon that brings high levels of stress both to candidates and actually even to hiring managers. And it happens when companies conduct too many stages of interviews uh, for the same role. And it results in draining the interviewer, it drains the candidate's energy, and usually, You know, the things fizzle out or it's just kind of a disastrous kind of end. Or uh the company gets ghosted by the uh interviewer uh interviewee, I should say, uh simply because they're just tired and kind of worn out through the whole interview process. So how many interviews is too many? That's that's the question, right? Two. So do you Two? You think two is too many? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm just
1: You just threw out a number. <laughs> I'm just throwing out numbers here. I, I mean, you're not you're kind of saying this rhetorically to set up the next part of the script, but um I'm the last time that I interviewed for a job Oh man, it's been a long time. Um I I started to feel like after the third one, I started to feel like they didn't trust me.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. I started to feel like, okay, how many hoops do I have to jump through to prove to you that what I put on my resume and what I show in my, um, you know, portfolio, why am I having to do this so much? Do you not believe me?
0: Well, now, so that's another interesting thing. So let's just rabbit trail for, or sidebar here for a minute, because as a creative, uh yeah, I mean, typically when I've interviewed like creatives, like I want to see like a portfolio, um, you know, but I do know um that there are times where they might request you to do something. And so that in itself can add to the interview fatigue because now you're being asked to basically do work, (laughs) Um, you know, to try to win the job. Um, So, yeah, I'm sure that that just kind of really can add to you just feeling like the mistrust of like, why don't you trust my previous work in my portfolio? But why don't you just trust, you know, whatever I've done up to this point? Yeah.
1: And then if you're going to have me do this work to prove myself, um, I should be paid for that.
0: Yeah. It's a very fine line, very fine yeah. line, um, for that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Cause um, I, you know, I ran into the issue. I'm going to keep going on this rabbit trail. I ran into the issue that, um, they asked me the same questions so many times that it was like gaslighting that I started to wonder if I didn't know as much as I knew. <laughs> and th- this was a web job. Um, where I was going to be uh, a webmaster for four websites an intranet and uh, some other work too. And they asked me about how much I knew HTML so many times that I started to think, I don't know. I must not know HTML because they're making me paranoid by asking me over and over and over again. So anyway, Maybe maybe it's,
0: maybe it's, they didn't know. Well, (laughs) I mean, I honestly believe that sometimes I feel like interviewers ask questions that they don't even know, Um, you know, so that
1: that is true that that's part of it. I did find out later down the line that um, the person that I was replacing was essentially just upset that she was being replaced because she had moved away and wanted to work remotely. This was back in uh, 2004. Before people were really doing a lot of remote work and um, she wanted to keep, keep her position as a contractor and I was taking her spot and the company was having her do part of my interviews. So, Mm. you know, there was some intention behind making me feel like I didn't know anything.
0: Right, 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 right. Let's make every candidate look bad. Um, Right, right. So, this uh, guy
1: has two B's in his name. Doesn't he know that one would be sufficient? <laughs> Except the first one is silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I've never thought to say
0: that. Well, there you go. That's your and new I'm answer. i to start using that.
1: Yeah, one B is silent, <laughs> it doesn't buzz.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, my last name right, is Tudor. And so always growing up, um, I always heard my dad, you know, say Tudor, T-U-D is in David O-R. And so uh, I do it. My son Luke does it. My brothers do that. Um, we just all do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So you should just go around and be like, yeah, it's Jeb, J-E-B-B. Uh, first B is silent.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm doing that from now on. That's a good one. I usually say J-E, boy, boy.
0: Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And they
1: still call me Jim. (laughs) Or Jeff. (laughs) Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Grab is the old joke.
0: So one research group found, and I would say that this is probably more standard uh, that you see, is that moving to have instead of just one person interview, uh, they would have like three reviewers. And it showed to have like a big impact on the decision. So it, it would take like going from like a 33% down to 15% uh, chance of you getting it wrong. Right. Um, so if you interviewed with each person, you would complete three interviews or you could meet with two and then one for a total of two interviews. Everybody follow my math there because I'm not good with math, but that was my big math problem.
1: <laughs> I. I didn't follow that. Let's All hear right. it again. So, one if research have,
0: group. If you if if you have uh, three people that are going to be on the interview process, right? So you're right. we're going to interview you, Jeb, but you're going to interview with three people. What the research showed is that those three people would, instead of just having one person interview, right? They, one person interviewing has a 33% chance of just selecting the wrong candidate. But when you involve three people in the interview process, it goes down to 15% chance of them making the wrong choice. Oh, so, so, so
1: hiring in it's, it's better to have a jury do the interview instead of one. Yes. It's like a recital.
0: And if you're the interviewee. So you're interviewing and mm-hmm. you have to interview with three people. That means that you would have to complete three interviews or you could meet with two at one time. And so you'd only end up and then meet with the last person. So then you'd only end up doing two interviews. Okay. All right. So we're that. In, in that scenario, right, we're saying like two to three interviews is what it yeah. should take right? And the research is saying if you do that, then you've got only a 15% chance of actually getting it wrong. Not bad. So what is that? That's 85% chance that you'll get it right. Is that right?
1: Mm, Let's just go with that. Not my strong suit, but yeah, I'm going to go with it.
0: Now to put some, some more authority behind this, Google staffing team also carried out research on how it could reduce interview rounds. So they were up to like 12 rounds, all right? And so um, they ended up doing this research and they found out that, okay, we could actually reduce this down to four interviews, that that was enough to predict a new hire's performance with 86% confidence. And so, I mean, that again, is pretty good odds. So the research would say that three to four interviews for a role is enough to decide you know on your future okay now for all the companies out there that feel the need to do more than four interviews for the love of all job seekers out there please (laughs) stop (laughs) yeah yeah and today we're going to talk to the job seeker because that's our audience but if you're a hiring manager, if you are a recruiter, if you're a CEO, if you're an HR director, if you are someone who has influence over the company's hiring process, let me just add that by reducing interviews down to four or less, it reduces your average time to hire by two weeks. It saves you hundreds of thousands of hours and interview times. It's going to save you money and it's going to reduce the stressful process for candidates and deliver a better candidate experience. And if you don't, don't think that the candidate experience matters that much you really need to prepare yourself and open your eyes because more talent is ghosting employers today than ever before because of this issue and honestly I think so many companies are blinded by the fact they think that great resignation is just something that is going to disappear into the wind and not even realize that there is an entire generation that is coming into the workforce and they are not even going to apply to your jobs because you disregard the candidate experience. You've got to reduce your time, uh, interview times. You've got to write better job descriptions. Uh, you have to train your hiring managers on how to interview. You have to share your salary range like that 's becoming law new york um new york uh, city or New York just passed legislation that they have to- sa- share salary ranges uh, The state of Colorado follows that there 's others like This is about transparency. This is about authenticity. This is what people are looking for. You have to start sharing your salary ranges. And then use assessments when it makes sense. I am so tired of companies like using these long, huge assessments. I'll give you, LabCorp is one of those my gosh, they have the longest assessment. It takes almost an hour to two hours to do just all for that candidate to go through that entire process and get rejected. It makes no sense whatsoever. And lastly, you've got to fix your culture. Your culture better match up to what you say in your interview or people are going to walk. Even if they start the job, they will walk out if your culture does not match up with what you said in the interview process. Amen. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) so again if you're like the hiring manager or someone that has influence over that please go re-listen to that part again uh, the rest of this is not for you Um, it's for our regular audience um, but I just needed to get that off my chest
1: Well, I hope you feel better I hope that was therapeutic
0: it was you know and I feel passionate about that as a recruiter uh, and a talent acquisition consultant to companies Um, so if you want to hire me, uh, to come in and tell you those things and, uh, beat you over the head with them, I would love for you to pay me to do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can find
0: them at jeremytodd.co. That's right. So all I can say, I can say all of this, uh, because it has affected me on the recruiter side and it has affected me on the candidate side and it really is just ridiculous. Um, So to our dearly beloved job seekers out there, let's talk about when you do find yourself experiencing interview fatigue, what do you do? How do you handle this? Uh, So one, that you don't even get to that place um, actually would be ideal. But if you do find yourself in that place, what do you do? So number one thing, when you are laid off from a job and when you are or leave a job, or terminated from a job, whatever happened to get you into that place where you were job seeking. And even if you are working your job and you're trying to find a new job, that is a lot of work and it can create a lot of stress. Number one thing, set a job seeking schedule out for yourself. Set a job seeking schedule. Um, Job searching does not need to be your full time job, even when you're unemployed. So a lot of people will say, oh, well, your only job when you don't have a job is to find a job. I, that's not actually true. Mm-mm. No. Right? That, that's, a, that's a myth. That's false. And that, that plays into our hyper overproductivity um, culture. But job searching... You know, it doesn't have to be your full time job. There are other things that are happening with your mental health, with your physical health, with other things happening to you while you're trying to. And even if you are in a job and you're super stressed, there are just so many things that are going on um, on so many levels that, um, you know, you can put too much pressure on yourself and so, sitting at a computer every day for four to six hours applying to jobs actually isn't going to produce the same results. If you would just take an hour or two each day that's really focused and do the networking, do the referral network strategy, you know, um, you know, set a, an, an actual schedule to yourself, you know, of what you're going to hold to. So, like, if it were me, you know, I might take like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, are going to be like in the mornings, I'm going to start off and spend 30 minutes on LinkedIn. I'm going to look at, um, the job boards. I'm going to look at what's being posted out there. I'm going to see who I can connect with and network. Maybe I'm going to write an article or share a post or do something. Right. Um, and I'm just going to spend probably, you know, those couple of hours, six, eight hours. I can get a lot done in eight hours. Um, and probably apply to all the jobs that I really need to within that time period and then leave the rest of the space. Eventually, what's going to come from all of that is interviews and that will leave me the space and the time to prepare for those interviews. So all I will just say is that it's just really important that you give yourself time for self-care, for your own professional development, and you don't have to spend 40 hours looking for a job. I would tell you if you are spending anywhere between like 10 and 20 20 being on the high end, um, honestly, you could probably pen, spend between like eight to 10 hours a week. You know, uh, if you're completely like unemployed, uh, is going to give you plenty of time to be able to do the networking, uh, searching for jobs, applying for jobs and doing the things that you need to do um, to be able to, to do a job. Um, so set a, a schedule, you know, put down a schedule, keep to that schedule um, and make sure that you're taking care of yourself through that. Um, so that you're getting the adequate rest that you need um, when those interviews start to roll in. Number two.
1: no. Before you go to number two, let me just also remind people, I mean, think about it. Unless you're just like the highest productivity person at work anyway, isn't it like, I'll have to look this up and I'll come back by the end of the episode, but isn't it something like, people are only working three hours a day at their job anyway, like the rest of the time. Four? Four? Mm. Okay, yeah, like they're BSing, they're checking their Facebook, their bank account, whatever. (laughs) Think about it like that, you know, you're not going to put in 40 actual hours of work at work anyway. You're going to be putting in 20. So cut yourself some slack. And yeah, yeah. Take take Jeremy's advice there. Now you can move on to number two.
0: Well, and this gets into number two. This, I think, kind of helps you structure um, this schedule is what I call the referral network strategy. So here's the deal. If you have a referral network strategy, well, if you you go out here and all you do is you're applying online 100%, your return of rate is like 1.7% to actually just get an interview. But if you have a referral network strategy in place... Meaning that you've found and built a referral into the company, then your opportunity goes up as high as 50% of actually landing the job. So again, this is about the referral network strategy is about putting the right energy into the right places versus just kind of going out there and throwing your resume out to the wind. So the referral network strategy works this way. You create four lists. Uh, the first list is you're going to target companies that you desire to learn more about working at because they share your values. So, this is even less to do with looking for the job title or looking for a job skill set, which is traditionally how we go and look for jobs. This is looking at jobs to say, well, you know what? They share my values. And I'm really interested in working for a company that actually shares my values and let me see what opportunities they do have. Right. So that's your first list. Create like seven, 10 companies um, that it's kind of a running list. And so, you know, if you choose Microsoft, you're going to look and you're going to research maybe find some people that you can network with and you're just going to run that through until it's basically there's a no like this isn't going to work and maybe it doesn't work because it's not the right cultural fit maybe you realize hey we don't share enough to firm values maybe they don't have job openings maybe they're not going to create the type of work or job that you want so it kind of becomes clear no to you that that's just not a path that's going to be working for you so um target some companies and when you when you You take one off the list, you add a new one to the list, right? So this is kind of an ongoing type of list. Once you have that list kind of working for you, the second list that you come up with then is target a list of people who directly work for those companies. They're your referral, right? So Jeb works for Career Brand Story. I want to work at career brand story. I contact Jeb. Hey Jeb, I see that you're working at career brand story. I'd really love to work there. What can you tell me about it? Can I use you as a referral? And Jeb's like, yeah, um, uh, let me think and get back to you on that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Let me get back to you. Uh, maybe we should talk about this over a steak dinner.
0: Ah, Yes, but I can't (laughs) afford a steak dinner. So how about tacos?
1: Uh, Taco Bell is perfect.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you want to get that person who can be that direct referral. Now, you may say, well, what if I don't know anyone who works at the company? That's your third target list. You come up with people who know someone who works at those companies. So let's say that I want to work for Apple. All right. And I don't know anyone at Apple. Um, but I know that Jeb knows somebody at Apple. So I reach out to Jeb and I say, Hey, Jeb, I see that you're connected with so-and-so that works at Apple. Is there any possible, you know, I'm looking for an opportunity. Is it possible that, you know, I could just get an introduction from you? And that's what Jeb will do for you is he gives you that introduction to that person. And that person is really an introduction to the company. All right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm handing out Tim Cook's private cell number all the time. That's what I do.
0: Absolutely, yes. And that number is?
1: (laughs) Uh, A taco (laughs) dinner.
0: Oh, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Now, you may say, I don't even know anybody who works at the company. And I don't know anyone who knows anybody who works at the company. That's your fourth list. And that's where you leverage LinkedIn. And you start networking and create informational opportunities. So maybe I don't know anyone who works at Microsoft and Apple. Uh, then I'm going to go and I'm going to start looking on LinkedIn. And I'm not necessarily looking for recruiters or for the HR people. Those are gate. Waykeepers, right? I'm looking for people who can actually make a decision. So if I work in product management, I'm going to look for senior product managers. I'm going to look for the VPs of product managers, and I'm going to start connecting with higher ups and simply send them a message through LinkedIn to really try to connect with them. And you want to make that message like simple and easy for them to connect. I mean, like the golden parachute is that they would take 15 minutes and actually have a phone conversation with you or even a virtual call. But look look, one of the best things that you can do, and I'm, I mean talking about making this really simple, is I always ask people for their expertise. Like, hey, I just have a few questions about working at Microsoft, or I have a few questions about working in your industry. Um, you know, uh, Can I inquire your expertise? Or is there someone you know that might even be better for me to connect with? Um, and then um, leave them like, hey, if if we could connect with you like on a quick 15 minute call, awesome. But also if I could just maybe email you one or two questions. So you've given them a couple of like calls to actions to be able to do. One being, hey, if they don't want to mess with this, they can just like forward it on to somebody, right? So like, Conscious cleared, I sent it on, this person can take care of it, right? But the second thing is, is like maybe they really don't have time to get onto a phone call with you. But being able to just answer like one or two questions via email, you know, the thing that happens with that if they say yes to it is now all of a sudden you've got their email contact and you can email them your resume and you're into their email contacts, right? So it's all about making the call of action like really simple. Like we know that in marketing, it's no different with you as a job seeker. You've got to make it yourself very accessible and very easy calls to action when you're doing your networking. So again, spending 70% of your time on this referral network strategy and like 30% of your time applying online is going to um produce so much more momentum than if you just go out here and apply to jobs only.
1: Yeah. And I'll, uh, I'll add, I'm sure I've said this a million times on this podcast before, but if you're a new listener, first of all, welcome. Second of all, um, I am a self-employed person and I still use the referral network strategy every project that I'm working on today was not somebody hitting me up from Google and it wasn't me hitting somebody else up from Google. It came from the people I've networked with every single project I'm working on today. And I think for the past year now I'm not talking about like my headshots. Of course, people like get in touch with me through headshots, but even then you know, from a marketing standpoint, they've usually heard about me because somebody at the company they used to work for told them, Hey, that one dude Jeb does great headshots. And that's how it'll work for your referral network.
0: That's right. As well. Yep. So yeah. This
1: works for for the job seeker, it works for the freelancer, the self employed who are um, you know, seeking their own jobs, their own projects.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I think that um, both on like the entrepreneur marketing side and even the job seeker side, everyone tries to make this sound like it's so much more complicated than what it is. Um, But this is just simple networking, (laughs) you know, and... That's all. That's that that's that, that's it. If you want to create business for yourself, if you want to create opportunities for yourself, this is actually what you have to put the work in to make it happen. Um and anyone who is being successful out there, they actually know that this is what you have to do. This is actually the work that goes behind things um to make it work. Um recruiters will tell you that um right, we will tell you that like referrals are our best friend. Um because you're going, we're typically going to get people referred to us that other people really like and want to work with, which is going to create higher retention rates. So, um, that's always a, a referral is always a welcome site. So create that, make it happen for yourself. And you're going to end up landing a job that you really like versus just one that's sitting out there being applied online.
1: Yeah. And the fact that you're already vetted by somebody that's trusted could also decrease those amount of interviews you have to do.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's, there's two other things why this strategy also works really well. Um, so number one, even if they don't have a job opening that fits you, all jobs are talked about months before they're ever posted, um, right? And so um, what happens is that you kind of get ahead of the crowd. So on average, there's 250 other people that are applying to a posted job. So if you can kind of get around that and kind of beat the crowd. So, you know, if I have a job opening that opens up for a creative consultant, um, you know, uh, then I'm like, oh, who do I know who's like really good at creative stuff? You know, and um, I might call Jeb and be like, Jeb, like, who's good at this? I mean,
1: yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you what, (sighs) let me get you in touch with this guy, Tim Cook and he can point yeah. you to somebody
0: yeah and so um, you know right and then and then that's that's kind of how those conversations happen right and we start talking about like who can we figure it out and then then all of a sudden we'd be like who's that guy who was on our podcast like like several seasons ago um, Matt Mary Matt Matt Mary what's he Matt doing right Mary. now Matt Mary
1: and let me tell right? you the projects I'm working on right now are because of Matt Mary that guy yeah. that was on our podcast
0: a while back. I helped him, he helps me. That's right. Um, so I just like to bring up his name every once in a while on our podcast. <laughs> it's a
1: it's a good name.
0: <laughs> the alliteration, the happiness, yeah.
1: the joy of saying Mary.
0: Mary. Yeah, absolutely. I like so I mean, but that's how that happens, right? And so you you kind of create these lead-ins. And so even when the job's posted now, they already have in mind typically like maybe one or two people like, gosh, I'm really hoping this person applies, you know? And you encourage that person to apply. So that that is why this referral network strategy can be so powerful for you. The other thing I was gonna tell you, most companies have some type of referral bonus program. And so that is why people, and I'll tell you, statistically speaking, it's usually your second or third degree people. It's not actually your family and friends, but it's a second and third degree people who are more than willing refer you because they're looking at a potential bonus um, to be able to get because you end up working at that company. Yeah. So there's a lot of motivation uh, and reasons why, again, the referral network strategy really works for you. And,
1: and again, right. to the freelancers... I don't know all industries, but in my industry, it is, um, well, I don't know how common it is. Maybe I shouldn't have started speaking, but I know that I will often send people gifts when they give me a good referral. It might be cash. It might be gift cards, but I will often show that appreciation and I've had it done back to me. So, Again, this isn't always about the job seeker. It may be about the freelancer, the solopreneur as well.
0: Yeah. So, again, doing it, it's just going to focus your energy, I think, on the right things versus the wrong things. And uh, that can just really change your whole schedule. It can change your mindset um, and, you know, and actually be able to see the progress um, versus, you know, I think sometimes if you just go out here and apply to a bunch of jobs online and then you start to get, you know, the emails back that you've been rejected, um, it only takes three or four of those and it feels pretty depressing. So, um, this just provides a different mindset, a different way of kind of attacking, um, how you're going to go about that. And the third thing I'm going to say that I think can help, um, with interview fatigue is then reward yourself for completing the interview process. All right. Um, so I went on this one interview and I will tell you, as soon as I uh, pulled up into the parking lot, I was like, this is not for me. Like there were just reasons it was, it it was kind of in the shopping center. Um, and it just didn't feel right. Um, they, they were, they, they were, They were a legit business. (laughs) I don't know that I believed in them as a business, but I went in uh, to their facility and I was immediately handed a clipboard with an application and asked to fill out, uh, which was another huge red sign. Um, And so I was unemployed at the time. I wasn't even doing career brand story or anything. So this was like prior to all of this. So it was kind of like, that feeling of desperation of like okay I think I should really be pursuing this. And so um I filled it out, I went back to the interview. It was it, I think I probably have talked about this interview before. It was the worst interview ever. Um and the guy was it was bait and switch and the guy the, the main interviewer, um there's two people there. The main interviewer was um he was just rude. Um, and asked me what I thought the job was. I told him what I thought the job was based on the job posting that he wrote. And uh, he said, yeah, another candidate. She said the same thing, but that's not what it's about. And I said, well, maybe you need to rewrite your job posting. He got very offended by that. (laughs) And uh, there came a point in the interview process where I decided I wanted to stick it out and see if I could get to the next level because I wanted to reject him. Like, it was like this, like, Ooh. became a game for me. Teddy. And, um, yeah, and so, like, left the interview, and sure enough, he actually um, asked me to come for the next interview, and I declined him in an email. I am um, i don't know what my email said. I'm sure it was not very pleasant. Um, but it was probably um, a year later or two years later, I'd started Career Brand Story, And the set, the, the other interviewer that was in that, she actually, well, no, I take that back. She actually reached out to me after the interview, like after I rejected and she reached out and she apologized for all of it. And just how awful it was. She said, I have never been in such a worse situation. And, but then it was like another year or two later, she actually reached out to me. um, And I helped her. Um, she, the, the whole facility closed and everything. And she left, um, type of thing, uh, which, you know, kind of telling, right? So So the job um, description's
1: wrong. The culture's wrong.
0: Everything. I should have just walked away. Yeah. But here, but talking about rewarding yourself for completing the interview process. And I, I did not reward myself in this opportunity. I was dressed up in a suit. Um, it was one of those rainy, humid, muggy North Carolina days, Um, and I'm heading home and I had to stop at, um, the grocery store. It was a Harris teeter. I went in and, um, as I came out, it was just one of those steady downpours that was coming down. And I just walked slowly to my car. Like, it was like, I didn't even care. (laughs) Like, I give up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Like screw it, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, I just got in the car and, um, so, um, but I think it's a great lesson that even when interviews go bad or when they go great, like, you know, or even when you don't get the job, like reward yourself because every interview you go on is practice and and gives you like this ability, um, to be better on the next interview. And so like, do something reward yourself take yourself to lunch uh i don't know go have a spa treatment i don't know what you need to do what what kind of reward you need um but like for me you know just going and maybe having like an ice cream cone that's enough of a reward for me but you know do something that says hey you did it you did your best you know um and whether or not you got the job you came out of this with like valuable skills for yourself to be better for the next time that it comes around. Uh, so I think that that's like really, really important. Rewarding ourselves actually helps renew ourselves. Um, and so, um, I think that's why we get drained in our work so many times because we don't do enough celebration and rewarding, um, for the work that we've actually been doing. And this kind of leads to a sub point. I, I didn't put this as a main point, but I will say this just kind of as like a closing thing on, you know, helping yourself not get into interview fatigue. If it gets past for interviews um, or at any time you don't feel comfortable kind of going back on my story, you have every right and empowerment and agency to walk out of the interview and just politely say, you know what, I don't want to continue to waste your time or mine but I can just know from where I'm sitting today that this really is not the right place or decision for me to move forward. And you can remove yourself. There's nothing wrong doing that. And if you just feel tired and you feel like, you know what, going back to Jeb's original story of feeling like, man, I don't feel like you trust me. Well, that's a feeling that is that is a gut feeling and you should listen to that there's intuition happening there don't ignore that and and so it's completely okay to say you know what thank you so much for your time and this and and discussing the opportunity up to this point it's just not for me and walk away um there's plenty of jobs out there um and what's important is that you find the right next job and not just take any job that comes your way and I know when you're sitting in in especially if you've been laid off in this current environment and you you're just feeling desperate like I've got to have work I've got to have a job I was just talking to a client this week about that they had this opportunity come along and yet they could go in and do the job and the money's great uh, but it's not what they want to do and so why 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 would you do that why would you go down that path you know and uh, so there's always a job out there if you want it, but I think it's so important for you to take like the next right job and really spend your energy looking for the next right thing and not just get distracted by anything that comes along the way.
1: Yeah, I agree totally. And we've said it before when we've talked about similar topics. Um, we're not recommending that you starve or that you don't provide what you need for your family, but where possible, don't just jump into anything because there's a dollar. There's dollars to be made all over the place. Selling Hot Wheels on eBay. There's places to make money to get by until you get to the to the thing you want to do.
0: Absolutely. So, in interviewing, you know, and this kind of uh, jumps into our career tip today. Look, I can't tell you how important it is for you to really make sure that you've got your story pitch figured out. The more prepared you are for an interview and you've sat down and you've thought through the interview questions and you've got your story pitch together and the more prepared you feel for an energy for an interview, the more energy you're going to have for that interview and that actually feel fatigued or tired going into it. Your story pitch is, some people call it the 90-second commercial or the elevator pitch. It's the thing that you're going to talk about when they ask you, tell me about yourself. I cannot tell you, let me stress this. This is so important. Um, I feel like I've said a lot of important things in this podcast today, but this is equally as important today that you have to have a good story pitch. First impressions matter. I have literally heard it all in a story pitch. When I say, tell me about yourself, recruiters make this decision in the first five minutes of a phone conversation to decide, like, is this someone I want to continue to talk to and kind of move forward with? So it's just really, really important. Your story pitch is not about your personal life. It's not about how many cats, you know, you have. Um, it's not about your children. This is about communicating where you are today and where you're going tomorrow. Um, one of the things that our career brand story writers do is we actually help people write out their story pitch. So what we co- accomplished in your resume and your LinkedIn, we put in and integrate into your story pitch. So everything that we're doing is about building that cohesive career brand story from your resume to your LinkedIn, to what you speak to. So, um, think through how you're going to answer. Tell me about yourself. Um, And the best starting point for that is simply answering the question, where am I today? What am I doing that's really good today, professionally? And where am I trying to go tomorrow? Um, And put in your top three career accomplishments, and you're going to build out a really nice, strong story pitch. In defining that pitch, um, it
1: it helps you maybe more than it helps the person you're telling it to it gives you the direction it it helps clear the path for the direction you need to be headed because it's really declaring this is what i do and this is what i do for people and it, you know so it takes away some of that clutter of like oh should i take this job well does it align with your story pitch does it align Absolutely. with you no So you shouldn't take that job or maybe it does. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's a really great point. And uh, another great way to look at that whole thing. I've never thought about it in that perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was working on mine,
1: um, you know, you know me, Jeremy, I'm all over the place. You ask me what I do. And I say, well, I'm a photographer. Well, do you do weddings? No, but for the right person, do you do family portraits? <laughs> no, but maybe no. my friends, right? No, I'm a commercial photographer who makes brand portraits, story libraries, and motion pieces that promote your brand and tell its story. That's it. Yeah. That's what I do. Yep. And that's what I do for you.
0: Yeah. I, I turned down a client, uh, a couple weeks, weeks ago because they were wanting website work i don't I don't do website work I'm happy to outsource website work. I'm happy to create you thought and about, talk about it did you? I did I talked to you about it <laughs> yeah um you know um you know happy to talk about it within the respect of how it fits within like their personal brand like so we will work with people on like their business brand or their personal brand or employer brand or you know we're a career brand story but but actually building the website, which is what the person actually needed, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, I could have taken the work and done the, the consulting piece of that upfront and then outsource it. But I didn't really want to even do that. Like that was going to just be another layer that I didn't need to do. So a hundred percent, you know, a great way, another perspective to think about that story pitch is that it can really clarify for yourself what's right and what's not. So all of our best career brand story packages, they're back. Uh, you can be a trailblazer and create your career brand story to market yourself for today's job market. We've helped thousands of people thrive in their life and do what they love. Um, I'm telling you right now, things are just kicking up and getting pretty busy. One of the things that's not being talked about um, is the fact that we are in a recession. Um, I know the media is going to what's happening out there to say we're not we are whatever but what is happening that's not being talked about is that there are layoffs Um myself and you can follow other career coaches we are continuing to get people that are calling us and saying yeah i was just laid off i just had picked up another client um, who was just laid off and so um regardless of how you want to look at the economy it is um um constricting is that the right word i think i'm using the right word that the the economist using It's, it's contracting contracting is the right word contracting and so companies are trying to right size um themselves based on the last two years that we've been through with pandemic and it's going to affect jobs um and so if you find yourself in that place or you have a sense that maybe that's coming or you just want to be prepared It is always a good time to make sure that your career brand story is focused and on point. So you can get started today at careerbrandstory.com. Check us out there. And you can find us on LinkedIn and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook at Career Brand Story. Um, And while many listen to this podcast, because that is what a podcast is for, you can also watch each episode on YouTube. Um, if you go to careerbrandstory.com, you'll get connected with all of our social medias there. So please search careerbrandstory Story to find us. Um, and we'd love for you to subscribe um, to our email list. We'd love for you to subscribe to YouTube um, to be able to find us. Jeb, where can everyone find you?
1: I'm available on all the socials at the handle at Jeb Graff. That's J-E-B-B-G-R-A-F-F. And on my website, jebgraff.com, J-E-B-B. Graff.com,
0: and that first B is silent. Thanks first for tuning silent. in, everyone, <laughs> and keep thriving out there.